Welcome to the Madison Story Slam podcast. I am your host, Adam Rosted. It's been a while. I'm sure you've missed us, but don't worry, we're back. Hey, heads up right away. June, we are not doing a Madison Story Slam event. Uh, we will be back. We, we're not sure if we'll be back in July, but we will for sure be doing another one in August at the Wilmar Center, so look for that. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and stay up to date on those. My guest today is Chris Drosner. He is the Wisconsin State Journal Beer Baron. You may have read a few of his articles. Uh, so we're going to be talking about beer, talking about journalism, and talking about beer culture in the States. Uh, anyway, let's get right to it. Here's me and Chris. actually mm. right near the zoo interchange um uh last august so but you're from here originally i'm well you were i'm here. from green bay okay I, and i work here and i've yeah i've been here at the state journal for geez it'll, i think it'll be 10 years coming up wow which is a long time yeah so i'm recording already okay uh so well, hold on. Well, let's, sure, let's sure. Get, uh, uh, would, do you have a preference? I do not. Okay, we got two APAs, so it's kind of similar. If I'm so, I'm picking. You 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 choose what you want. I'll go with the uh, sponsor. Sure. With the uh, Ale Asylum Hopalicious. Nice. One of my favorite beers. It was one of the uh, one of the State Journal's uh, Madison in 100 Objects, which yeah. I wrote about a bottle of Hopalicious. So it's an icon. Um, so to set that up a little bit more, is it Drosner? Is that how you say your name? Drosner. Drosner. Okay. I've been wrong this whole week. No problem. Um, so I'm sitting here with Chris Drosner. We're, this is the Madison Story Slam podcast. Welcome, first of all. Thank you. Chris, you, uh, you write for Wisconsin State Journal. Uh, do you write for any other publications? Uh, nope. I'm a State Journal uh, original. Um, I'm actually a news editor here, so the beer column is a, um, I guess you could say a part-time sure. gig outgrowth of the, the day job. Yeah, and they beer call quotes. you the, the Beer Baron. The Beer Baron. At least that's what you call yourself on Twitter. It's the name of the, yeah, it's the name of the column is the Beer Baron, which we... Um, should I start with a, a, a digression story sure. already? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. my I, this, I, this show is all about rabbit trails. <laughs> it really is. Uh, I, I when back in 2011 when I finally did, when I finally started doing a beer column for the newspaper that I work for. Um, we 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 we, were tra- we had to figure out what to call it, you know, and um, the 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 weekend before the, that decision had to be made, um, I had a friend over, a couple friends over, um, and we did a homebrew. It was my first um, batch of homebrew, and it went um, well. It was just, it was a lot of fun. The beer wasn't very good, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, but we, one of the things that we were trying to figure out was what we were going to call the column. And my friend Jacob had this list of two sides. Basically, you've got beer, something beer-related on one side, and something journal or sure. guy or whatever on the other side. And we just wrote all, it was like free association of all these things on one side, like, you know, beer, hops, malt, uh, whatever, whatever. Uh, you know, brew, and on the other side was journal, 
you know, stop, uh, Maven, whatever, and just kind of like trying to find something that crossing the which one the, sounded uh, the best exactly. Yeah, and none of them were any good. I almost we, we almost went with Brew Wrangler in kind of the uh, Bob Loblaw yeah. uh, kind of just the <laughs> rural juror kind of vein, just try to make people say weird things. Yeah, um, but at the end of the night, we were kind of half drunk and. Um, did this not, one ha- did not have a column name, as happens when you homebrew with friends. <laughs> um, but the next morning, I'm looking at the list, and like these are these are all bad. And then for some reason, the the beer baron, the Simpsons episode, came to mind, and it was just like that. Yeah, you know when something clicks. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was pretty inspired. So yeah, it is an it is an explicit well not an explicit because we don't really make mention of it, but it is truly based on uh, Homer Simpson as the beer baron. Sure. <laughs> uh, do you do you ever get introduced to people as the beer baron? Like, I mean, this is my friend, the beer baron. Yes, all the time. There is a guy at work here who does not call me by my name. He calls me Baron. That's it. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, I had a nickname for a while, Duke, because... Um, uh, I was signing into the security of my friend's um, college. I was going to visit him at college, and the security officer, desk, whatever, they had you sign in. And I noticed, like, the three or four people who signed in before me, they'd sign in, but then they didn't check IDs. So you could sign in as anybody. <laughs> so I just thought, what's the point of signing in? So I signed in as Duke Hagglesford. And then a lot of my friends started calling me Duke. And when I got married, when I met my wife, um, they started calling her Duchess. So Duke and Duchess. Yes. So someday I want to open a bar called York. And, and so we'd be the Duke and Duchess there of you York. Go. But nice. Yeah. Good concept. Yeah. Right? My, my wife is the Baroness. Yeah. I mean, kind of. You know, not really, but yeah. we do. I do introduce her as that sometimes. Let me ask you this: What's your feelings on beer and cookies? Beer and cookies. And cookies, like as a pairing? Yeah. One of my favorite things in the world is drinking beer and a chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> I can't say that I've I have any feelings on beer and cookies because I haven't thought about it. I mean, um, I if like, I, I ever, like cookies, if I, like I ever open York, mm-hmm. my bar, my plan is to serve fresh chocolate chip cookies every hour on the hour. That sounds pretty good. Beer and cookies, try it out. It's, All right, it's it's just amazing. Any any particular like a, I mean, a, I would think a nice porter or something would go nice. Yeah, yeah but you know what? What's interesting is the bitterness of any beer, but I, I, I'm an IPA guy generally, um, right. and uh, the bitterness of an IPA with the sweetness of a chocolate chip cookie is actually really good. Uh, the yin and yang is a is a proven um, it's a yeah it, it's a proven concept in food and I'm not original. I get it. No, no, no. I, yeah. <laughs> it's an it isn't. A, I, I have I, I can I can. Uh, honestly, say I've never heard of uh, a, a, a beer cookie pairing. Yeah, at least in you know. So uh, you started. Uh, where'd you go to college? First of all, I did go to UW. UW Madison. Mm-hmm. Yep, journalism degree. Cool. Uh, what year did you graduate? Ninety nine. Oh, so you're old. I am pretty old. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did you was. Was this the first major publication that you ended up working for? Nope. I, uh, straight out of college, I went back to my hometown of Green Bay and worked for the uh, Press Gazette for a while, um, which is the daily newspaper up there. Well, at the time, it was one of two daily newspapers up there. Now it's the one that's remaining. Um, and uh, 
I my uh, my my first job and really my first job here at the State Journal too was um, as a copy editor and page designer, um, which is a uh, an, an area that is uh, has been has seen a lot of changes in the last. Um, uh, 15 years or so that I've been in the business and uh, there's a lot fewer of us these days um, but um, as a 21, 22 year, 22 year old I guess working at a newspaper um, you come to be seen as the like the cool kid sure like you know like you know what's what's you know what the cool kids want and they let you write about that stuff and um not at all, really, of my... I didn't seek out any of this, but I ended up doing um, a rotating... I was one of a rotating author of a kind of a lifestyle column just about whatever. Um, I did uh, some band interviews, like five questions with blah, 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 local cover band, which most of them were pretty terrible. Um, and eventually I settled on a bar column, um, which was initially... Um, I think it was every other week, and then it went to every week, which is... It was exhausting because you, it sounds great. Like, oh, you get paid to go to bars. Yeah. But you don't get paid to go to the bar that you want to go to. You get paid to go to all the bars. And uh, bar owners are really... It was it was kind of a rigor, you know. It involved interviewing and setting up photos and all that stuff, and it was kind of a pain, uh, to be honest, um, because bar owners can be pretty flaky sometimes. And um, you know, you're going into a lot of times you're going into a bar like during the day to check things. It's it's it's. I, it was it was fun, and I was I was known um, like around town as like the it was called the club crawl. Yeah, the club crawl, club crawler was was what I. Anyway, that was the name of the column, which was silly because there's no there are very few clubs in Green Bay. It's yeah. very much like this is the neighborhood bar, this yeah, mom and pop shop here, this is the neighborhood bar. Um, but kind of a eventually we, we and we did have a beer column at the at the Press Gazette back in the in those days. I mean, we're talking like two thousand. 2000 probably um which was pretty remarkable considering that the the i mean where the beer scene is now compared yeah. to beer culture then. wasn't, wasn't yeah, really I mean, a thing beer wasn't necessarily something to write about uh, at least on a you know general audience level like like a newspaper does at that point so um uh, eventually, the guy who was doing the beer column didn't want to do it anymore for some reason, and uh, I, they went came to me and was like, "Hey, do you want to do this?" And I'm like, "Sure, why not?" And I was I was into beer somewhat at that point. Um, I knew what good beer was and what bad beer was, but I didn't really have a good sense of styles sure. or you know I, w- I wasn't real educated. I, I I I liked it and enjoyed it, and I had a, a modest degree of passion for it, I guess, as a as much as a 23 year old can have for good beer but at in 2000 but i feel like i feel like at 23 you are just just barely getting past the woo beer party stage yeah and that that was a i mean and, and honestly you know uh journalist salary just getting started you know craft beer does require a certain amount of disposable income yeah and that i didn't yeah i was i was i was basically i would start with a two-hearted or something and then uh finish the night with six paps (laughs) (laughs) or whatever it was um uh and the problem with this column and 
uh, is that it was an anonymous column. It was the Brew Guru was the name of the column. Sure. And it was this the, the the way that it was established as being written was this guy who refers to himself in the third person all the time um there's a different mug shot that runs with the, the and it was very short you know maybe eight eight inches which is about column inches uh newspaper term but um you know maybe uh it, it well put it this way the the column that i just filed today for um next week is 43 inches with a full interview with a, a brewery owner and sure. like actual information. This was just like a guy saying, yeah, oh, this is something and here's something and it tastes like this and okay. So, I mean, the, the level of kind of journalism was zero and the level of like actually kind of really doing something hard was only slightly higher than that. But the, the thing was, the guy referred to himself in the third person. It was just written not at all in my voice, <laughs> yeah. which I don't know if I had necessarily at that point. Yeah, I guess I did. I mean, I was writing other columns and stuff, too. But, um, you know, I, I, I kind of felt like I had to have some continuity from this previous guy, so I was referring to myself, you know, writing about the brew guru thinks this about this, and and that, that was a weird kind of way of escaping responsibility for what you're actually writing, because your name isn't on it, your face isn't on it, and Basically, if you even, don't want somebody to know, yeah, even if you're saying like I don't really like this, you can you don't have to really own it. You can just say the brew group. You know, it's it, it's it's kind of like removing yourself from the yeah. Process. You're totally detached. Yeah, exactly. So um, I, eventually, I, I kind of became. I mean, it, I, my name was never published as a beer columnist in the Press Gazette, and I, actually, after I left um, in oh boy. 2005, I think it was, um, I continued to freelance it back um, for a few years before I started um, the before I finally just quit because it was just it was difficult you know sure the Green Bay and Madison beer markets are different enough as far as like what's available and um, you know just it's, it's it's harder to do that remotely than than you might think at least in, in the way the direction that it was becoming you know it was becoming like a legitimate um, you know thing that that is actually pretty close in format and stuff now to what what the column is now so um in any case i quit that and it was a couple years before um the features editor here was like you do a beer column for the press gazette i'm like and it was kind of like it was kind of a little secret i guess i mean was it something you were proud of or was it sort of something oh, yeah. that you tried to keep secret yeah no 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 well it, it, uh I, i'm not i wasn't quite clear if it would be cool with my employer that I was freelancing something sure, back yeah. to, you know, to an, another publication in the state. Now that I am a manager here, I know that that's not, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be an issue because it's not direct competition, whatever. Sure. But, um, you know, I wasn't sure what, where that, where that would stand. And I, and I just didn't think that they would want necessarily to have a beer column until I kind of got a little bit further along and, and realized that this is the, I mean, you know, in the 10 years that, that in between my first column in, in Green Bay and this one, the, my first column here at the State Journal, it, it was, I mean, people were talking about beer all the time. Yeah. And there was enough news that, hey, there's a new beer out all the time now. You can always, you, there's always something to write about. And, um, you know, the, just the the, pro, the 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 increasing profile of beer all around made it 
it seemed a lot more viable. And um, my editor actually pitched me on and I was like, yeah, of course. And we just had to figure out a way to make it work with my existing duties. So. Yeah. I think it's interesting that beer has become this thing that you're right. You totally, you can make a living writing about beer now. Okay. Uh, and it's kind of one of those things where I don't know if I, I feel like everybody does this as a cop-out way to, to explain things. But I think often, it, for a lot of things like that, it goes back to the Internet. Finally, I have a voice to talk about beer other than to just uh, Tom, Dick, and Jane, who I know. you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it, beer has become this kind of thing where you can geek out about it now. And it's not, it's, it's not just going to buy a six-pack of PBR. You, you can you know, uh, write about the tastes and the notes and the things and pair it. And you, you can really be a geek about beer, which is actually kind of cool, especially in a place like Wisconsin where there's always good beer coming out of it. Yeah. I, you know, the, the internet has done, um, wonders for niche, um, everything's, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, giving people with, um, like minds and like and similar interests a place to to talk about that and um uh get news about that and all this stuff um that said you know what i do what i do here is for a newspaper audience i'm writing and and by a newspaper audience i mean generally not just everybody but even um I mean, it skews older, it skews mm-hmm. more traditional, yeah. and that is an audience that has, has, um, by conventional wisdom at least, been a little bit slower to adopt the, um, uh, uh, you know, good beer, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I got married last year, and several of my uh, guests were older people who were, who were like, "Where's the uh, Where's the Coors the Coors Light?" Yep, and uh, and I had Ale Asylum. Well, <laughs> they and were like, uh, no, what is this stuff? <laughs> that's the thing that that I um, that I really enjoy is getting. Um, I get I don't know, I want to call it. It's not fan mail, but I, you know, I, I get an email from a reader saying. Um, I didn't like beer for 50 years or whatever it is. And I, st- I started seeing your column and I was like, I don't like beer. I don't like beer. And it kept on coming at me every week or every other week. And then every week. And it always seems kind of interesting. And I finally started trying different things. And, and now I, I'm like, I can't wait for the next week to see what kind of new, it, it, like it's, 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 almost translating a world that is um or i see my my job as translating a world that is chaotic uh complex um you're like a gps in a new city yeah yeah because yeah. you look i mean just remove all that you know about like the beer beer brands and breweries and styles and stuff and Come come at that beer cooler at Woodman's or something that's that's you know 120 feet long, just packed with six pack after six pack. Come come at that with a completely clean slate and no knowledge, and tell me that you're not going to be like whatever. I'm I'm going back to yeah. the light. Yeah. Um. So that you know that's kind of what I'm trying to do, and, and and I don't have anything against. I mean, if you don't like beer, that's fine. I I, I never try to push 
beer on people who don't li- who say they don't like it. But I will challenge. I, I will ask them. Well, what don't you like about it? What you know? Have you have you what have you tried? Mm-hmm. You know. And if if it's if if it's just like a, a dismissive like ah it's newfangled. It's like well okay you're not gonna <laughs> you're not gonna be there. But you know the one of the, one thing I, I heard somebody say or saw read somewhere online maybe um, recently was the best question is not what kind of to, to find out what somebody should be drinking isn't necessarily what kind of what kind of beer do you like it it might be what kind of so do you, do you drink soda what do you like there yeah do you drink coffee do you drink tea what's your favorite dessert that kind of thing and that can, that can be a window into somebody's taste um preferences that they might not even real they, they they would never put it together yeah i want to try a milk stout um because it's black and it's scary and it's, yeah it's stout it sounds it sounds intimidating but you know if you try it and oh, wow this isn't what i thought it would be that's that's the that's the kind of the big payoff and in in this is basically recommending something that to somebody that they didn't know they would like and they do. I mean, you know that that is very much just um, the satisfaction in that is about providing a service mm-hmm. where like uh, I for a while worked for Glass Nickel Pizza <clears throat> and not not East West actually and yeah, Glass Nickel West. I lived I lived above not not exactly above but next door and above the East Side one sure on Atwood the, there's the apartments facing uh, yeah Atwood and Fair Oaks. Um, and there's not there's not much uh, I was uh, what they called a phone girl there uh, the reason my title was phone girl is because everybody else who answered phones there was a, was a girl <laughs> so I just went with it uh, so let me tell you answering phones at glass nickel west for a living there's not much satisfaction in that job uh but the fact that like i was providing a service for somebody even if it was as little as you want pizza i've got pizza there's there's something to be said for that definitely and then especially when it's something that you're passionate about it it's it's just you know tenfold it's way better yeah i mean and that that, i think that's that satisfaction can transcend a lot of you know, like topics, you know, like if, if like, you know, giving somebody a mixtape and, oh, I love totally. that. Yeah. And then it's like, yes. Sharing with somebody something you love, it's honestly, it's a little bit like giving a part of yourself to that person. Like, hey, yeah. this, this really defines me, this much of me, you know, like, and so here I'm going to share that with you and you can be a part of that part of my life. For sure. For sure. Uh, when I encounter people who don't like beer or say, say they don't, I always ask well what have you tried and then they'll always list off beers that are that i would not drink bad (laughs) and then and then i say uh because i didn't like beer when i i didn't i didn't drink before i was 21 i was not the typical wisconsin kid um and the first time i had a beer i hated it uh but the first beer i had was a scotch ale at uh the great Dane. (laughs) (laughs) i thought it tasted like soy sauce i was like no not for me um but I always tell people, because this is what I did, I found a beer that I could tolerate that didn't make me want to throw up as soon as it was in my mouth. So I say, find a beer that you don't necessarily like it, but you don't mind drinking it. Drink that every time you go out with friends, have one or two. Eventually, you'll like that beer, and that is the gateway to other beer because you can appreciate it from that. I, I really do think beer is an acquired taste. Oh, I... Uh, yeah, um, no doubt. I mean, I, I, I think usually when you talk about gateway beers, it's not like, um, oh, here's a beer that 
usually they're starting from a baseline of, okay, when I was 19 or 16 or whatever, you would drink to get drunk. Yeah. And the gate, what the gateway beer does is brings that activity into something that is enjoyable. Um, whether and whether that getting drunk part of it comes with it or not is, is I guess, up to you. But um, you know, the, the the notion of well, I have to find a beer that I like is is predicated on you have to drink beer for some reason. So yeah, and that, that usually is a thing that I think people tend to grow out of. But I, but I think there's also something about palate development, and I, I don't I haven't seen any like actual science on this or anything. But you know, I, I think that. Um, anecdotally you your palate becomes more refined and more interested in having good things put on it um as you get a little bit older in, in into your 20s yeah. you know, into your low, like low mid 20s i think is really kind of when adam it, adam carolla would call it the yummy face this is how he always uh, talked about it on the old radio show loveline which is still on but he's not on it anymore uh, and he would always say, there are some men out there who never get past the yummy phase. And the yummy phase is Hawaiian Punch, yeah. um, Chef Boyardee Ravioli, um, Kraft Mac and Cheese, things like that. Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew is very much in the yummy phase. I love Mountain Dew, but I quit it. <laughs> and so, and then th- he says, those are the same men who don't like a good beer, don't like whiskey, don't like a cigar. They're like, ugh. And, and they're, I think you're right. Their palate just never matures and catches up basically yeah and I, I do think there's a there is some accounting for well this is what i like and th- and that's okay like i don't you know that's fine i, I you know I, if you like um what was the beer that oh man one of my favorite reviews i ever wrote was um <laughs> it was a side-by-side um of two new beer two relatively new beers at the time sunset wheat from line and kugels mm-hmm. and um um Capital Island Wheat, which was like new a long time ago. And um, I thought that I thought that Sunset Wheat tasted like it was dry hopped with tricks or Skittles or something. (laughs) Just this really, really fake berry vague. Like, you know, like you take the Skittles and you just, you don't even look, you just pour like five of them in your mouth and chew it up and that's what it tasted like like this kind of vague artificial fruit flavor and and then oh i guess wheat beer too you know and and the contrast to that was island wheat which you know um uh is not exactly one of my favorites these days but at the time was you know especially in comparison was was really good and um but yeah something that, that was that was one of my favorite Bombs was <laughs> comparing that beer to to um, amorphous that kind of you know it turns into that kind of that brownish purple yeah. color yeah <laughs> I don't know if you've ever taken a giant wad of Skittles that you've put in your mouth oh, yeah. chewed up and then taken it out and seen what color it is but trust me it's kind of this purplish brown yeah it's gross uh, I I always um, so I said before the, the first time I drank a beer it was a Scotch ale and I thought it basically I turned to my friend and was like is this just um, soy sauce and then a lot of times uh, whenever I would drink um, I don't know if it was summer shandy or if it was honey ice um, but one of those two the first time I had it I, th- I was like this just tastes like a saltine cracker to me 
Um, and I very often will drink a beer and be like, this doesn't taste good because it tastes like a different food to me. But um, See, and that, that's kind of the vocabulary that beer reviewers need to speak through is other foods. Yeah. And it, it's tricky because I don't think that an IPA tastes like citrus, really. There's some that do, though. You know, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, but like, but really, I mean, okay, does this taste like eating an, a grapefruit, really? Yeah. I mean, kind of, but there's all that other stuff going on, and what, what good beers will do, I mean, and really almost all beers will do, is it's, it's this kind of... A, a, a cohesion of flavors that becomes uh, of flavors that may have some reference point, but becomes this thing of its own that is singular and hopefully enjoyable and yeah. and kind of its own thing. And and that that to me is what I, there, there have been a couple of reviews that I've written and I can't recall exactly what beers they are right now. Sorry, but um, where I. I, I, you search to kind of try to peel those flavors apart, hmm. and it doesn't quite work. And um, uh, that can be frustrating, but it's also in the column. I always in those columns, I've said that those are that's one of the highest compliments I can pay to a beer is that I when can't, you can't pick it out. Can't, yeah, it's I can't not so much not so much that I can't pick it out like identify it, but pick it out like peel it apart and deconstruct it like that. Sure. And by that, do you mean, just so I understand a little better, uh, you can't, I don't know, put your finger on the exact quality of this beer that you like? Not so much or, the quality, but the but the, um, the, the the vocabulary, the reference points kind of fail. Sure. Like, um, you, you all know, you can really like, say like, is, oh, this, this beer is, a, is just good. This is a, bis- this is a biscuity malt with, uh, um, you know, some floral, aromatic kind of hops. Sure. You know, it, it, when, it, when, it, when you can't just kind of... I, I like it when the when those qualities are are um, not quite as you know silo in, in in their own silo as much. Yeah. Do you find um, being really into beer? Uh, this is true across the board, not just for beer. If you're really into anything, you're more susceptible to being. Uh, really snobby about oh, it. Oh yeah, totally. Do you get that? I hate those guys, and I and I I actually really do. You try and guard yourself. Oh, from, yeah, from sure. being that. Yep. Um, I I don't think I've ever used the phrase mouthfeel in my columns. I might I might have uh, I might have slipped on that early, but uh, yeah, I mean I'm 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 writing for a newspaper audience. I'm also trying to write for beer geeks who are looking for detailed information and sure. that sort of thing too. So I'm trying to play both sides and um but yeah I I I do not like um a lot of the vocabulary that comes along with standard um beer reviews because I think people just can't I, I think it's it it can be mockable and well, then also um, and, and, and can isolate people yeah, too. It's, it's like I don't. What is that? I'm not because get let's face it. Not everybody that reads a newspaper is um, has a great vocabulary. 
And especially if you're new to beer vocabulary, yeah, exactly. you might read those words and be like, I have no idea what that means. It's a niche thing, yeah. Like, you're never, you're never going to see me say stone fruit because, honestly, until like well into uh, an embarrassing amount of time into the period which I've been writing about beer, I did not know what a stone fruit was. I don't know what a stone fruit it's is. It's a peach, an apricot, something. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, like a fleshy fruit that has, yeah, that has a, a giant seed, basically. But you can it. say peach and apricot, yeah. and people will know what you're talking about. Um, you know, people that refuse to just say peach and apricot, and they'd say stone fruit, they're, they're the kind of person who wants people to be interested in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the kind of people who become vegetarians just so that other people go, oh, that's so cool. Why do you do that? They just want to seem cool. And, they, and so they say stone fruit, and they want somebody to go, I don't know what that is. Explain that to me. I think they, um, I think they remember the first time they heard that phrase and how um, dumb they felt, and they want to put it on other people. They want to feel Sometimes, important. Not always. They, they, it also could yeah. be just a useful term that brings into that brings a, a family of fruits that have similar flavors and aromas together sure. in a shorthand manner. The, the, but I there are doubt. probably people that use it just because yeah. it works, but I'd say the majority. Yeah, but uh, you, you have to. I mean, my my goal is always to be approachable um, and you know easy to read yeah. and not douchey and i think those guys guys people those reviewers can be can come across as very douchey yeah so let's talk uh newspaper logistics for a little bit sure and get off beer not necessarily totally off beer but um uh, you know, you always hear the newspaper business is a dying industry. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going. Do you operate, uh, and, and does this whole ship operate in that, uh, with that mentality? You know what I mean? Um, no, not at all. I mean, well, is there is there a fight to say, hey, no, we are still relevant, or or is it just okay? Well, you know, uh, row as fast as you can while we still can. No, I don't. I don't think there's any kind of um, th- there. There that I think that. That um, attitude or, or kind of outlook was a little bit more prominent. Maybe, um, well, during during the recession, it was pretty bad. Um, you know, uh, a few years ago, and and the State Journal has seen um, a lot of positions lost to the economics of the business since um, since I got here. Um, and and really. Since, I mean, at the at the Press Gazette as well. You know, I went. Th- I've gone through a lot of uh, rounds of layoffs and, sure. and uh, you know positions that where people leave just being eliminated. Um, but we've been pretty stable for uh, man, probably about at least three years. Um, and uh, so I, I don't think like strategically. Um, as as businesses and as publications and as journalistic endeavors, that that's part of the mindset. Um, but I will say, as an individual in that in that environment, um, it can be really stressful um, because you you just you never know um, you know if uh, you know that you know that generally. Your staff and your coworkers are getting smaller, or you know, their staff is getting smaller, and your coworkers are getting fewer in number. Yeah. And at some point, um, you have to decide. You may have to decide whether you want to take a buyout, um, whether you want to stay in this business and keep doing what you're doing. And 
it's it's always been easy for me because I love making newspapers. And um, is it is it that you love making newspapers, or, or is it? Um would you be just as happy with an online only publication? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, the news, right. It's, it's the, I, I love being in news Yeah. and specifically the daily news or the, you know, the, the f- uh, faster paced news rather than like a, a monthly or, you know, magazine or, or maybe even weekly. I'm not sure. But, um, I, you know, I think the print, I think newspapers still carry, um, an immense amount of authority, um, an immense amount of public service, and um, it, that is um, that makes it worthwhile to me. Yeah, um, and uh, and it's it's really exciting. Like the 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 idea that there's a press. I'm pointing over toward the um, toward our press, which is a couple of, couple rooms over um, there. That's going to kick out. Um, what is it now? Sixty thousand copies of of something that I wrote, or I edited, or I, um, you know, had a part in, or one of my reporters had a part in, um, is really satisfying. And um, you know, and and couple that with the fact that we can we can do that. We can we can report that important news and get it out, you know, on on our website and and Twitter and all that stuff, you know, um, as as soon as possible. It kind of becomes a a two uh, kind of a double, um, there's two masters, there's yeah. the immediate and, um, the, uh, thoroughness and is there, kind of context and everything that we need, that we need for the print. Yeah. Is, is there a little bit of, I mean, I'm sure there is your, your online stories, you pull a little bit of the punches, a few of the punches to leave for the print. Um, not usually. I mean, we, we want to report as, as completely and um, uh, as fully as possible. Okay. But we also want to be, you know, the the, the mantra for um, the State Journal's parent company, Lee Enterprises, and I haven't heard this one actually in a while, but it's one that's it's one that I think is a is a good philosophy is first. It's first period, best period, and it's it's both of those things. So we we want to break news and be on top of things as they're happening, um, but also um, provide the the depth and context and um, you know that fullness of a report that you just don't get in a lot of other media sure um particularly tv no offense tv friends um but you know it's there's something about the written word that allows complexity and um detail and nuance to come through that doesn't do you there's obviously really big advantages to to visual news as well um but we you know we can do that too on our website so it's it's um Good. Do you think that some of that, um, I don't know, gravitas to the written word uh, that, that it has has to do versus uh, visual television and things like that is um, the reader uh, inherently gives their own voice to what they're reading as well. Uh, and th- they interpret it in their way. Whereas if you're listening or seeing someone talk, give the news, you really can't put your own spin on it. So, so some of that weight that you talked about that the written word has is just kind of because everybody's the star of their own movie, and I'm reading this, and I've, it's in my voice. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I, I, there's certainly they can slow down and 
process it at their own speed Mm -hmm. and interpret it as they go think you know ask themselves what they're thinking about it as they're reading it whereas you know this the pace of broadcast media is fixed and you can't you know you're, you're if you and if you miss something if you didn't understand something it's gone yeah whereas if you if you hopefully you don't encounter a sentence that makes you read it twice but you know that's my job but um but also you know if if you do hit that you can go back and say oh yeah or you can you can go back and and say that's a detail right there that is important whereas that might just pass you by in in uh, in other in broadcast media so sure what does a successful uh, journalist look like um, and the reason I asked that is because I was just thinking, this is a business. Uh, and I was thinking, there's probably not many of the upper ups that are like, we've got to get the people their news. We, they, that's our journalistic integrity. I think most of the people in the very up top or tier, top tier of of journalism are like, we got to make these numbers if we want to stay in business. Yeah. But, and so I imagine a lot of the up and coming journalists getting out of school, getting hired are very much that idealistic. We've got to get the people their news. Is that a successful journalist in the long run? Or, or is that the kind of person who we're going to spit you out in five years? Um, do you have to look at it? Do you have to have a good, healthy mix of both of those things? I think you have to understand that you work for a business. But one of the things that – one thing I would say that I disagree with what you said there is it, it is a business. Everybody who works in it knows it, knows that. Yeah. Um, when they do work in a business, there are a few nonprofit, you know, journalistic enterprises that don't have to worry about that as much. But um, – I don't, I mean, when I'm doing my job, my journalism job, I'm not worried about that. Sure. I, 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 we are freed from that making the numbers kind of thing. Now my, my, my top boss has to worry about numbers, Yeah. but he doesn't have to worry about, he, he worries about expenses, but not bringing it in. And, and that's somebody else's job. They work downstairs we work up here. Sure. So that, and that, that's, um, and that, that's everywhere. That's not just here, obviously. Um, there, there's a separation between the – well, I shouldn't say everywhere, but there, there, is, there, is a, there is a traditional and historic separation between business and journalistic um, portions of um, publications because, frankly, one is not generally very good at the other. And um, but also the independence that's required to do journalism um, kind of dictates that. Yeah. So, uh, so getting back to beer, you've, yeah. you, you've satisfied my uh, my. Uh, no, those are good. Those are good questions. I like I like talking about the business because you know I have an idea for yeah. for a column. Okay. Uh, it, it's very much an onion esque uh, column because it would have to start out fake. Uh, the the writer is a guy named Jerry. He's a fictional character. Jerry uh, lives in a trailer park in Alabama, likes farming, things like that, drives a tractor. And uh, he he is the go-to guy if you need to fix your tractor. He He's not a mechanic. He didn't go to school for it. But, you know, he's been driving and working on tractors since he was six years old. And, and anybody who's got a problem in town, they go to him. And 
somebody tells him about the internet and uh, he should he should start a a, um, a website one of those newfangled websites and where people can ask him questions. Get yourself a blog. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. That's right. And uh, he he buys the domain name. Somebody helps him out at the library, and it's Dear John, D E E R E John. So like okay. John Deere. Yeah. And he's waiting for <laughs> he's waiting for letters from people about their tractors. But because it's Dear John, and usually a Dear John letter is about breakups, uh, is somebody breaking up with uh, somebody, all he gets is romance questions. <laughs> and, and, and somehow, he every, he's like, well, I got to answer it because they took the time to wrote in. And, uh, and, and so some, in every response he has, he, he somehow relates it back to, well, when my tractor dr- broke down uh, about three years ago. And so every relationship problem is just relatable back to a tractor problem. <laughs> nice. So anyway, thought I'd pitch that. But no. Uh, Wait, that's, that's a pitch for a beer column? No, not a beer column. Just, oh, okay. just, uh, uh, just yeah. a column. I, okay. I know I said getting back yeah, to yeah, beer. Good, but, good. Okay. Um, okay, so. I was hoping you were going to say, like, yes, I understand that your children are uh, miscreants and you can't control them. But maybe you should try this raspberry, <laughs> this new raspberry porter from Hill Asylum. Hill Asylum will never make a raspberry porter because they don't brew with adjuncts. That's right. Raspberries, fruits such as raspberry is an adjunct. And Speaking they are very of Ale Asylum. Yes. As you very briefly mentioned at the beginning, at the top of the podcast, uh, we are sponsored by Ale Asylum, and we are very thankful for that. Um, um, I talked to them today, and they wanted me to mention a few things. Uh, first, they wanted us to note that this is the first year that they have released a uh, one seasonal per month. And so far, they've all been really good. Um, yes, they have. Uh, let's see. Right now, their latest one is Triple, triple Nova, which is a Belgian-style triple ale. Um, have you had that yet? I have had it, yeah. That's, that's actually not a new beer, but... Um uh, I think it was came out in bottles uh, for the first time last. I want to say like last fall, like sure. or late summer. Um, it's a big one. It's uh, you know the Belgian the Belgian styles kind of focus on the yeast, um, so it's got this kind of clove, peppery, spicy, almost like banana. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, you know signature Belgian flavors going on there with a big malt. Um, body, um, I haven't had it. That's all from memory. So. I really, I really <laughs> want to have it, um, but that is uh, available now through August ish. They told me. Yep. They, they basically said it goes fast, so get it while you can mm-hmm. uh, if you're interested. They really boosted production of that last year, and I think they did again this year. So yeah, um, but. Yes. The uh, and then Velveteen Habit is still available um, through the end of June. That was that's going to be one of the front runners for my beers of the year. Really, because, um, which is a column I do at the end of the year every year. You might understand the yeah. concept behind it because it's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's a um, it's a Citra and Cascade um, hop. IPA and it's a big one, which is uh, a little bit different than some of the other stuff they do. And man, it's so good. It's it's it, it is that profile of Velveteen, Velveteen Habit is is one of my favorite types of IPAs. It's it's this it's a I mean it's not sweet because of course hops are bitter, but yeah. Um, 
it's it's kind of the more tropical citrus. Um, it, the, the the overwhelming like the takeaway that I remember from that beer, and not that I haven't had it in that long, but um, it's almost like a. Um, like the fruit cocktail, you know, like the sure. old school stuff in the can that's kind of syrupy and and delicious. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a yum. It's yum yum. yum, yum it's yeah. a yum yum phase yeah. thing. But obviously, you put it in with. Um, you know, a beer with hops and bitterness, and there's a dankness underneath all that that comes from the citra and the cascade. Um, citra is usually more of the kind of the bright, fruity character, but the and cascade, which is the hop in um, Hopalicious, I just pointed at the beer over here. Um, it has a little bit pinier, kind of more resin type um, notes, and that's just a great combination. IPAs. Uh, I was actually asking one of the, I don't think it was Hathaway, I think it was um, Ryan over at Carbon 4, about why the world is obsessed with IPAs right now. And that was a few months ago. And I think part of the thing about IPAs is there's just so much, so many things you can do with an IPA. It can One IPA can taste totally different from all the rest. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I love is sometimes... Sometimes an IPA is super, super dry, and it's just like, yeah, this is just a good beer. Sculpin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then I actually, ha- I don't remember what IPA I was drinking yesterday. Um, it was from Rush Rush River or Rushing River? Rush, Rush River, yeah, up north. Minion is, is the name of the IPA. And it was very just like thirst quenching. And, and I like IPAs like that where it's like, this is good on a hot summer day. Because not every IPA is. I, I would agree with that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then back to Ale Asylum real mm-hmm. quick, just to get this plug in. Uh, their next uh, IPA um, will be re- released in July. This is, I don't know if it's Haiku or Haikoop. It's Haiku. It is. It's a, it's a, it's a play on words. Play on words. It's, uh, it looks like high, H-I-G-H-C-O-U-P, as I recall. Yes. And I and you you see that in in written form, and it says hi, and you think haiku, okay. But then you say it, and it's like haiku. Um, and I believe that one is using. I think it's a single hop. Oh, boy, I feel like I'm going to say something that's wrong, so I'm not sure. But so let's just not say. Anything I think at it's. All. I, I think it uses Sriracha Ace hops, which is which are Japanese. Sure. In origin, and that's a um, that hop has a very um, kind of a lemony, um, almost like a little. I think it's a little black pepper maybe in there. It's it's a very um, distinctive uh, hop profile, so I'm really looking forward to that one. That was the nerdiest thing you've said so far during the podcast. Oh, distinctive hop profile? Well, that the combination of that and then when you said in origin. If you had just said they're, they're <laughs> Japanese hops and then continued on, when you said in, in origin, I expected well, you they to could, they put, could probably there are Japanese hops in too. origin, push up your glasses. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, of course, uh, the Pantheon Imperial Brown Ale is available through July. And this is not even a setup. This was not planned. I had one of those last night, and it's excellent. It actually made me think that, and uh, brown ale is not really my style. Um, not my favorite style. Although I, I do have spurts where I really enjoy it. But I, I drank that beer, and I was like, damn, they don't. They really don't make anything bad. No, I mean not even close to that. I mean, yeah. I, I, I wrote about Surly um, not that long ago. They just opened up at the beginning of June in Wisconsin, yeah. which was kind of a big deal. Um, and 
Which well, that's another one of the bullet points that they hosted. Ale Asylum hosted. Hosted Surly. Surly right. last yeah. night uh, kind of gave them some of their that's taps. Right. And, yeah. uh, I they, totally they said uh, some darkness, but I... They know. said the darkness lasted less than an hour. Yep. Their keg of darkness. That'll, so. that'll do it. That'll do it. Um, but I, it, it, it was... The, the thought I had on Ale Asylum was very similar to the thought I had on Surly after sampling side-by-side, side, you know, six of their beers just to kind of refresh my memory on um, what they're all about and um, do some tasting notes. And they, I mean, that is a four-star brewery. Like yeah. on the on the five-star untapped scale that I've used in my column and, you know, and obviously on untapped at WSJ Beer Baron, Twitter and untapped. Um, we'll plug that again. At the end. <laughs> is um, all their beer is is really well made and really good and there's there, there's just a kick on a lot of the uh, a lot of the styles that pull it a little off style um, in a really great way so uh, I just started using untapped uh, and have yet to uh, give a beer a five star I have very few of those in my uh, every once in a while I go through and and see what I've got and there are very few five star beers that I have yeah and then the last thing from uh, Ale Asylum if you don't know uh, cans have arrived and uh, right now they have Hopalicious Bedlam Demento which is a Session Pale Ale and Unshadowed the German Hefeweizen which is a fun one to say those are all available in 12 ounce cans and it's they're 12 packs um, so you can find those in your local liquor stores or grocery stores big for uh, trips to the lake house or yeah beach or what what have you i i didn't know that beer in cans was such a demanding thing for people i i like a beer in a bottle uh so i've never minded bottles but it is nice that you can buy a 12 pack of it yeah and i think um breweries like them because um it's delivering the same amount of uh beer obviously in a tighter package yeah. there's less um shipping costs there's it's cheaper because it's lighter um i think there's less packaging quite a bit less packaging overall but i mean i think it, a lot of it is driven by demand and you know being able to take it um on a camping trip or to the beach or whatever and bottles do work but you kind of end up with you know clinking things and sure you know the the waste uh you know, if you have to pack it out, certainly. And I think a lot of the can um, demand and, and, you know, the, the uh, what call it, critical mass for um, that movement started, I think, out west. Sure. Um, with um, Oscar Blues was one of the forerunners of, of uh, canned beer. And they're, you know, up in the mountains and a lot mm-hmm. of their... You know, the the the, pro, the general profile of craft beer drinkers is a little younger and a little more active. So combine that with a package that suits that, and it's it's a it's a winner. Yeah, I, I actually somebody asked me this today. Um, I so I assumed that, uh, and I don't. You maybe you'll be able to tell me if uh, this is right or wrong. I assumed um, that doing cans is more expensive, and the reason I assume that is because every craft brewery out there does bottles. And, and that's their go-to start. Basically, there's there's only a few who don't, you know. Yeah. So I he this guy had asked me why do why do all these small-time breweries do bottles instead of cans? And I said I, the only thing I can come up with is that it must be less expensive to do bottles. You know, I'm not actually sure about that. Um, that that sounds like a I, one thing I, I I do know is that most small breweries, startup breweries, um, 
have used bottling lines. Mm-hmm. So they get them on uh, on the cheap. And know, that's what I, I mean, said. A, you probably a, brand, a brand new yeah. bottling line, depending on you know the scale and kind of efficiency of it, can be extraordinarily expensive. Yeah, six figures easy. Mm-hmm. Um, even the one at Ale Asylum, the, their new their new facility is a used yeah. line. I think it was from Sweetwater down in Atlanta or uh, Georgia. Well, so, and their one in their old facility that now um, Carbon Four uses Ford is that. I think Ryan told me that's like a sixty-year-old. It uh, is very old. It was most recently used by Lagunitas. Yeah. So I mean, think about when Lagunitas out in California and now Chicago was small enough that they could use a bottling line that, that fits in that Carbon fits Four. In carbon four. <laughs> I mean, it, that is old. Um, and you know, uh, so I, I think that kind of uh, carousel of old kind of use cheap equipment is part of it but so and I don't, i'm not sure you know I've, I've never priced out like a canning line i think my guess is it's probably pretty comparable but i think the general you know marketplace the, the more accepted format is is bottles Bottom. that's kind of the the default um but you one thing you'll see with cans now is um just recently in madison uh mobcraft and um uh, House of Brews, which share a space kind of um, out on the east side, uh, they had a mobile canning uh, facility or unit. Um, it's basically a, a canning machine on a truck that they come that they come in and they spend a day bottling or canning. Yeah, obviously, um, a few different beers for those two breweries, and that that gave us um, Observatory Pale Ale and uh, Hop Goes the Grapefruit from. Uh, Mobcraft and their bat shit crazy. I can say bat shit crazy. That's right. Every time I reference bat shit crazy in my column, I have to bat like, s star star. No, we don't do it that way. We do bat expletive crazy. Or uh, one time I referred to it as a, a beer that I cannot name in a family newspaper or something. That's funny. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just awkward. But God bless them. They yeah, they got shit on the label. Good, good for them. Uh, you know what? I don't think I've ever had a Mobcraft beer. Uh, which is which is a shame. That is a Madison. I, I know it. Full pot. I know. I know. It really is. You know the reason. Uh, th- I'm going to give my own shameless plug now. The reason you and I got connected is because I just started this Twitter and Instagram. This new one called Drink More Beer. So that one's at Drink More Beer on both Twitter and Instagram. Really, I started it just as an excuse to drink more beer because <laughs> I just found, like a lot of people going to the liquor store uh, after a long day at work, you, you fall into the regular habit. You know, uh, well, I always drink this. So I, I just and I wasn't trying enough new stuff, and I was like, well, if I have this, I'm motivated to try new stuff, yeah. take pictures of it, and kind of give notes on it, but. And I don't really do any technical notes. My notes basically consist of I like this. <laughs> well, I, I, one thing I'll say is, I, you know, my the 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 strong part or the strong the, my strength as a beer columnist is not my palate. I I have had to kind of learn and. Um, uh, um, kind of, I, I mean, I, I, I feel confident in, in my palate now and, and describing what I'm tasting, but I am not a super taster by any means. Some sure. people will drink a beer and it's like, oh, I'm getting raisins and figs and toffee. And, and I'm like, mm-hmm, raisins and figs? And if, I, if I'm looking for it, I, I guess, taste yeah, beer. Okay, there's raisins <laughs> and figs. Yeah, that's that's actually a joke. My, my editor who doesn't drink beer and doesn't is not interested at all um, for the column is uh, she she every especially in the early going she would come over and she'd say 
beer doesn't taste like chocolate. Yeah. Beer doesn't taste like coffee. What are you talking? It tastes like beer. Be more honest. <laughs> That's actually a pretty good Beth Williams impersonation. But anyway, um, uh, that that. This is like a documented thing that there's a certain slice of the population that just has these like super sensitive taste buds that can that can tell you like one one of my uh, beer friends I guess um, Joel Kennedy who just recently moved from Milwaukee out to um, California to become um, I think the social media manager for the brewery um, the brewery is the brewery b r u e r y um they do they sell 750 milliliter big bottles of all kinds of really awesome stuff really high end stuff yeah this guy has the most amazing any actually he runs a i should mention this he runs a podcast called craft beer compass which is excellent and you know kind of short snippets where he does sits down with the beer does a review his news and notes and kind of other stuff but yeah. anyway um he has this palette that is and a vocabulary to go along with it that is bordering on ridiculous. It's so detailed, and he paints a, this this picture of like you know um, liquid toffee drizzling over uh, toasted marshmallow creme brulee. You know, like all these crazy things so coming together. All this stuff in my mouth, and it's like you hear this, and it, you have a really specific. You know, sensory idea of yeah. what he's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's amazing. Um, it's also kind of ridiculous. Sorry, Joel, but I mean, it, it's—I mean, I'm, one of the one of the favorite one of my favorite beer reviews I've ever seen was on—I um, uh, think it was Beer Advocate—a um, a review for Bur- Goose Island's Bourbon County Stout, which is like one of my—that's one of my five-star beers for sure. Um, it was a. It was like a two-year-old vintage, you know, like where it had aged for two years. And and this guy, it was a, it was like a. I'm, I'm holding my 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 hands apart. It's immense review. I mean, you know, beer, beer advocate. You usually have like you know, sure, maybe I don't know, like 150 words or something. This was probably like 800 words. About one glass of beer, right? And the the thing that it, and it, it was all this crazy vocabulary of stuff. And, and Bourbon County Stout is a beer that has a lot of non-standard beer kind of flavors and, and aromas and stuff on it. But this guy was going nuts. The, the the craziest thing I saw and the craziest thing I've still ever seen in a beer review was the phrase "fatty flank steak." He described it not only as beef, not only as steak, not only as flank steak, but a fatty a cut fatty cut of yeah. flank steak. That is exactly what this beer tasted like. In addition to all these other yeah. six hundred things, it was, that's awesome. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. So beer in Madison, real quick. Uh, yeah. What do we got coming up in Madison, or what do you excited? I know everybody knows the great taste is coming up. We can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. But uh, is there anything else that that as the beer baron you're looking forward to? Well, it's not in Madison, but um, it's just across the state a little bit over in my neck of the woods, my residential neck of the woods. Um, I'm going to the uh, Wisconsin Beer Lovers Festival. Um, not this. Uh, it's on um, June 20th. Um, I'm going with my dad for the third year in a row. It's the day before Father's Day, and it's always been. It's, we've established a nice little tradition there. Yeah. He likes he likes to see the beer baron like in action. He gets a kick out of that, and he's <laughs> he's a, a loyal uh, Titletown Brewing Company. Uh, patrons so uh it's a nice nice bonding experience and just it's a it's a well-run festival it's at uh, um 
what's the name of it? Bayshore uh, a mall and uh, kind of it's an outdoor mall in Glendale. Uh, which is it is, just is it a similar place. similar to Great Taste? No, not at all. Not at all. What I mean, is well, it? I mean, it, it's similar in that there's beer being served sure. at tents and that sort of thing. But I mean, the scale of it is completely different. I mean, yeah. Great Taste is is such a singular event, at least in this area, and um, and really, I think overall, I mean, all the other great beer festivals in, in around the country are indoors, and that can be a, a challenge sometimes at the Great Taste, but. I'm telling you, man, Olin Park on a great day, on a nice day with the shade and the beer and all the people. That's the thing about these beer festivals is the people are so excited to be there and so happy to be there. And none more so than and drunk taste. <laughs> and the beer helps. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. Uh, I have not been to the Great Taste and uh, I missed out on tickets this year. But Well, I'll tell you, this one of the little secrets of the Great Taste is um, that tickets are not, if you really want to go and you're you block out that time uh, in the afternoon and evening and really honestly at night because you're probably not going anywhere afterward yeah um, just go yeah um, there are off there is a, a surprising amount of surplus tickets um, that somehow that, that people to show up usually there. will just you know it's not scalpers because usually that crowd doesn't roll like that and it's, yeah. it's it's pretty good vibes and if you are looking for an extra ticket usually you'll be able to find one if you get there early enough and yeah um, well, I, I plan to just at least show up uh, and and see what I can do, just because it's fun. Um, I had actually wanted to try and – I'm able to do this podcast mobily because I have, like, uh, not quite a generator, but, like, a giant battery that I can plug stuff into. Yeah. So I thought it would be fun to, like, throw everything I have in a backpack and walk around with a microphone to different tents and be like, tell me about your beer, but – uh, so I plan to show up. It, it's just always sounded fun to me, uh, and I just have never actually made the effort to, to actually show up there. It is one of the most. Um, it, it is the hardest assignment for me. Every it's not an assignment. I mean, because you can't. I do it because you can't remember. Well, yeah. I mean, that that is a big part of it. Is that I, and I, I kind of gave up on um, doing. Like most of the most of the big stuff that I do for the Great Taste is beforehand. Yeah, um, I, and you know I have a I have a, an angle story that I want to take going into it, and um, but when I'm there, it's I'm working. Yeah, but I'm also at a beer festival that is awesome. Yeah, and I am enjoying it. And uh, sometimes those the journalism and the enjoying part are are, are uh, difficult to reconcile. But it, you know. Generally, what I emerge with is kind of an impressions, highlights. You know, here's four beers that I remember because, I mean, not that you, you know, like last year I wasn't particularly shitty, I guess. But um, there have been years where it's been like, whew. you know, <laughs> when you have a game plan and you're, you've got all these highlight, all these beers highlighted, and you're aggressively, you know, that's 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 the fast train to drunk town. Yeah. Um, and usually it's easier to just kind of chill and take it easy and. You know, drop in on a f- and meet some new people, that sort of thing. Sure. Well, it sounds like a blast. It, it, it is is awesome. an, it's August, right? Yeah, it's the second Saturday in August every year. Yeah. So if you if you don't have tickets, you're out of luck in buying tickets now. But unless you go to Craigslist. But as Chris here said, show up early uh, on the second Saturday in August. You might be able to score some tickets. Yep, and ask around. In the uh, tickets, I believe are. Um, the, even the mail order tickets, I think, are probably in people's hands by now. So, yeah. um, if you have a friend that you know likes beer, ask them if they're going to the Great Taste, and 
start start working those start working those uh, favors right now. That's right. Uh, so we're we're gonna wrap up here. I have one more question for you. I, right. And I know you you said you checked out the Eric Franke episode. Did you listen to the whole thing? I actually did not. You son of a bitch. I know. I know. I, it's okay. It was, it was on the way home, and I, I pulled into the into the into the house. And it's okay. Uh, so every guest I've ever had, I ask one question at the end. Oh, exciting. Uh, no, well, maybe pre- it's good that I'm coming into this blind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so no pressure with it. Um, it's it's purely take the question as you want. Um, I, I always ask, uh, who is the most interesting person in your phone? The the first time, interesting contact, the first time I asked the question was uh, to Tom Farley, who is Chris Farley's brother, a New York Times bestselling author. And uh, I, the way I phrased it was, uh, if I were walking down the street and found your cell phone and I was scrolling through the contacts, who would who would I see and go, I should probably call that person. So, so here's the thing that, that way, that phrasing doesn't always work for people because some people are like, well, I don't have anybody whose name you'd see and go, I got to call that person. Uh, but like his answer was Quincy Jones. (laughs) (laughs) That's my answer too. Oh man. What a coincidence. (laughs) Oh man. What a a coincidence. Oh, good one. (laughs) There's a lot of brewery people in there, um, obviously. Let's see. I'm going to go with Kirby Nelson. Kirby Nelson. Who is he? He is the brewmaster at uh, Wisconsin Brewing, longtime brewmaster at Capitol. And anybody who's met him uh, comes away, I think, with a pretty strong impression. He's, he's, uh, he's a character... Um, of a very high level in a field that is filled with characters of high levels. Sure. Um, I mean, the, the, if you just like put all the brewmasters in the Madison area in a room and played charades or something, it would just be a riot because they're they're all really. I, I, there's something about the beer industry, I think that that brings you that that, that there's a social dimension to it all. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that they take very seriously and part of everybody's job at the end of the day is kind of hanging out and drinking beer and being social and and, um so they become very good at that and kirby is um i mean he was i think he was one of my first interviews as a beer columnist when i started doing interviews and um he's an icon in this in this business especially locally and he's just funny and he's acerbic sometimes but he's nice too yeah, yeah. And he, uh, i i consider him a friend in a, in a way that i don't like i i you know i have a professional relationship with a lot of brewers but um it supersedes that kind of yeah, yeah well i mean not that we're hanging out all the time or anything i, I get it get you, you want me to get out of here so you can give him a call i get it <laughs> actually I, t- I texted him while we were talking <laughs> <laughs> hey kirby what you doing uh, <laughs> perfect so it sounds like the kind of guy where like uh you get off the phone with him and you're like that was a that was a great conversation i'm glad we talked when yeah and i learned something had a good time totally and the really frustrating thing about those conversations is you go back in your notes and you look at what you got. It's like, said, I know I saw it. So it's you actually just knocked out the mic when you did that. Oh, but no. That's okay. No, no, it's back now. Oh. I just, the audio cut out. Shoot. See, the thing about microphones on tables is... <laughs> 
Let me learn you here. Okay. You don't hit them. Okay. Yeah. Well, I hit the... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. Lesson it's learned. no big deal. So, uh, Chris Drosner, uh, you can find him on Untapped and Twitter at... WSJ Beer Baron. Beer Baron. Yep. Uh, so find him on Twitter and Instagram. And check out the column. Can you find the column online? for? for oh, yeah. It's on Madison.com. Um, actually, here I can give you a little quick link if you want to find them all. It's go.madison.com slash beer baron. Um, and that brings up a, a kind of a homepage. It's also www.google.com. <laughs> Search Wisconsin State Journal Beer Baron. Yes, that'll that'll get them all, too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so I'm going to quick outro the show, so bear with me while I do it. In fact, I don't really have anything to say because uh, our next story slam is not till August um, for sure. We, don't, we, we were going to try and do July, but uh, nothing has worked out so far to find a venue for it. Um, we for sure have a space booked in August and that is the Wilmar Neighborhood Center on Jennifer Street. Uh, we may try and do a small gathering so that we have a podcast for July for the Story Slam podcast. Uh, but other than that, we want to say thank you to Chris here and then also thank you to uh, AO Asylum for sponsoring us and being such a good sponsor and uh, go check them out and drink their beer like you aren't already, but drink more beer. And follow me on Instagram and Twitter at, uh, at drinkmorebeer. And then you can also follow this podcast at at uh, Story Slam Madison. That's S T O R Y S L A M A D I S O N. It's weird, I know. Anyway, thank you, Chris, for being here. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Adam, it has been um, a great conversation.